0: Van Dyke's portraits of Charles I that resembles Dame Edith Sitwell and historians have condemned the king as haughty and effete. It may come as a shock therefore to read the letter in which he promises to satisfy a red-haired spy behind the backs of his jailers at Carisbrook Castle with three hours of foreplay followed by a good swiving. As I discovered researching my biography of the king The real Charles I was no maiden aunt. He liked sex. He had pursued secret assignations with women before he married, his misogynist father having a strong antipathy to any risk of his son producing royal bastards. When he did marry, he expelled the French priests who advised his wife against having sex on the Catholic Church's many holy days, and he went on to sire a brood of children, the supposedly macho Henry VIII, only have envied. By 1648, when he was imprisoned at Carisbrook Castle, he had been parted from his wife for four years and was impatient to embrace and knit Jane Horwood. But Charles did not value Jane solely as a possible sexual partner, nor did he see women in general as mere sexual objects. He respected their opinion and was well ahead of his contemporaries in recognising just how effective they could be as spies. I am the historian Leander Delisle, uncovering the Tudors and Stuarts behind the myths. The roundhead press dismissed she intelligences, the pejorative term they used to describe women agents, as mere gossips. The royalists were more open-minded, but they still warned Charles only to use women for the lowest level work, judging them vessels too weak for the retention of strong liquor. Charles ignored all such advice and wove a web of invisible agents around himself, an entire spy ring of she intelligences. Jane Horwood was a gold smuggler for the royalists and moved over £83,000 worth of precious metals between 1642 and 1644. She also gathered information and carried messages. Early in the war, these were in cipher, but the roundheads made carrying coded messages a treasonous offence, and so other methods began to be used to make the messages look innocent. Information was hidden with invisible ink. One woman describes using a substance made from artichokes, or in banal phrases and paper folds. Charles recognised Jane's letters by the foldings. That Jane was sexually attractive was seen as an advantage in a spy. The one great power that men recognised women possessed was the power to seduce. And as spies, they were perceived as little better than prostitutes. This has not changed much. Interviewed on television in the 1980s about an article I had written about being recruited from university to the British intelligence service MI6, I was asked if my job as a British diplomat with extra duties essentially to flash my pants at shady foreigners. Certainly, young women have always been capable of making fools of randy old men. The complete woman, the novelist Anita Bruckner once observed, is manipulative, uses other people to get her own way, and works within whatever system she is in. The killing beauty of the 17th century, Lucy Countess of Carlisle, who became the model for Dumas' Lady de Winter and the Three Musketeers, was an expert femme fatale, and one who I followed in White King, spying for both sides during the civil wars. It was not beauty, however, but the perceived weakness and stupidity of women that offered them the greatest advantages in the role of spy. The very fact women were so underestimated helped render them and their work invisible, the key skill in undercover work. Roundheads were more willing to give women passports to cross enemy lines than they were men. If women were caught with incriminating documents it was also easier for them to cast blame elsewhere. Puritans were so reluctant to believe a woman could make a good agent that the writer Afra Ben had to use her literary skills to pretend she was passing on intelligence gathered by a man whose letters, inverted commas, she supposedly copied so earning a good money for information she had in fact gathered herself. Since it was assumed that women's activities were not to be taken seriously, they were not executed for espionage as men were, which is not to say it wasn't dangerous work. In 1649 Lucy Carlyle was shown the rack in the tower to encourage her to confess her activities in the royalist cause. She desires them not to hurt her, it was reported, for she is a woman and cannot endure pain but will confess whatsoever they will have of her. Lucy went on, however, with her intelligence activities under their very noses. Others escaped less lightly than she had. In Ireland, captured she intelligences were transported as slaves to Barbados. In England, The sister of Charles II's later chief minister, Edward Hyde, Earl of Clarendon, was driven mad under torture. Susan Hyde was a she-intelligencer at the heart of the royalist secret organisation the Sealed Knot. She was exposed by a captured agent, hunted down by Cromwell's Council of State and arrested. Clarendon was told that they had used his sister so ill and terrified her so much that she lost her senses and expired in a few days in that condition. The informant considered Susan a martyr for the cause, but Clarendon never mentioned her in any of his biographies, perhaps because spying was not respectable work for a woman. Take the example of Anne, Lady Hacklett, who, along with her bigamous husband, helped the future James II escape from imprisonment. She was a master of disguise and appears to have known James well, as she organised women's clothing for him in his size. The dress was of mixed mohair, she recalled, and underneath it was a pretty scarlet petticoat. She thought the teenage boy looked very pretty in it. It was quite a coup to get him out of the country, but when she wrote an account of her actions, she felt she had to justify her work as being carried out only as the dutiful wife she had believed herself to be. The truth is, some of them at least very much enjoyed the work. Elizabeth Lady Carey, who used bribes and hard cash to dispose of a key witness in a treason trial, thrived on danger. A friend observed, I know how much you prefer that to lazy quiet, but it was not work they boasted of and we are privileged to be given any glimpses of it. If you would like to know more about female spies or the life of Charles I you may be interested in my biography of Charles I White King winner of the historical writers association non-fiction crown and also Nadine Ackerman's forensic study invisible agents you can also contact me via my website facebook and twitter Water.